0: Welcome everybody to this edition of the Untold Story podcast. I'm Martha McCallum. Very busy week going on here and in the world, and I'm very happy to be joined today by Robert O'Brien, who you all know of course. He needs no introduction, but for those of you who might uh, need a little background, the former he's the former National Security Advisor in the Trump administration, former Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs, and he previously served as co-chairman of the US Department of State, Public and Private Partnership for Justice Reform in Afghanistan under both secretaries of state, Rice and Clinton. He has extensive foreign policy experience over several administrations and was very instrumental as the national security advisor in the Trump administration. So, Robert, thank you so much. It's great to have you with us.
1: Oh, it's always great to be with you, Martha. Thank you.
0: I think I just want to start because I always like to tell a little bit of untold story. You know, tell everyone who was used to seeing you all the time in the Trump administration what you're up to now, what you're focusing on, what you're working on in terms of having some influence on world affairs.
1: So I I went back to practicing law part time at my former law firm, but most of my time Martha is spent as a consultant uh, helping guide companies and, and individuals on how to navigate geopolitics and Doing some of the briefing type sort of briefings we did for President Trump, but uh, obviously using open source intelligence, not the Presidential Daily Brief, and and helping some of the great American companies that we represent navigate the world. It's uh it's become more complex and more dangerous, as you know, and both security wise, even for executives traveling overseas. Uh, but you know how, how to interact with com- countries like China and Russia and and in the, in the Middle East, given all the turmoil we're seeing in the world today. So it's, it kept me busy and. Of course, I always find time to be on your show, which is one of my favorites. And you're a great journalist. I appreciate you always having me thank on you. to hear my views on things.
0: Well, thank you. We always, um, we're always we always really glad to hear from you. In fact, as I said, your name is always at the top of my mind when I think about who can kind of take us through and navigate. Because I think a lot of times we, we tend to focus on the day-to-day. So in this situation, we have sadly three American soldiers who lost their lives at the Tower 22 outpost in Jordan this week. And now everyone is watching and listening. What will the president do? How will he retaliate? But I, I think in this environment, I like to get kind of take a few steps back. How can you explain to our listeners, how did we get here? And how is the the power paradigm shifting in the Middle East?
1: Well, it's appeasement is how we got here. But let me just take a, a step away from that question. and I'll answer it. But just to say how, how our heart goes out to the soldiers who lost their lives, but also to the soldiers who have been injured and may suffer lifelong uh, challenges because of the injuries they face. It's I can tell you, it's the toughest day on the job when you have to go to Dover and and receive the dignified transfer of the remains of our fallen heroes. And I had to do it six times, three times with President Trump, and three times representing President Trump. And I remember every one of them vividly. And it's a it's such a tough thing to do. To trying to support and comfort the families as they welcome their, their loved one home in a way that they didn't want to. And uh, so, you know, putting partisan differences aside, I'm, I'm glad to see the president is going up to uh, Dover to, to comfort those families and to, and to tell them and their loved ones that uh, America appreciates their sacrifice. But going back to your you. main question, are those look, appeasement's always popular, and people don't realize that, but in a democracy especially it's always better to put off a, a a difficult situation whether it involves economic sanctions or tough diplomacy or uh, military action and and kick the can down the road but we know what happens when we kick the can down the road it's always harder to deal with the situation later churchill talked about that after the münich conference when neville chamberlain came back in 1938 and was hailed as a hero in, in london for having gotten a, the peace a deal that you know guaranteed peace in our time with adolf hitler and Churchill said, "Look, this is this is a, a, a defeat without a battle, and we're going to pay for it, pay the price for it." And you know and what happened is Hitler took his portion of the Sudan land of, of Czechoslovakia, and that would just give him an appetite for more. And we've done the same thing with Iran. We have appeased Iran. We given them billions of dollars in sanctions relief. We paid them billions of dollars in hostage ransom. We've allowed them to attack our troops through their proxies over 150 times without any meaningful response. And, and as, as a result, they they now are emboldened. And believe they can kill American troops, which was an absolute red line under President Trump. They knew that. They knew if they killed an American, the response would be devastating. But but that's where that's how we got here. Unfortunately, we we haven't engaged in peace or strength and and headed tough diplomacy and, and a, a strong military presence in the region. Instead, we've tried to buy the Iranians, and instead of reciprocating our good heartedness and our our good faith, they've t- taken that as a sign of weakness. And and this is what we've what we've you know, raped from what we sown.
0: So we saw what happened with Chamberlain and we saw that Churchill turned out to be right. You and I spoke earlier on the story and and you said, because this week, Anthony Blinken said it was the most dangerous time in the Middle East since 1973. And you said you believe it's the most dangerous time in the world since 1938. Take us around and explain why, why you believe that.
1: Well, when I was National Security Advisor, Martha, the president and, and others used to ask, you know, what 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 are the dangers every day to America? And, and there were three primary dangers: the the existential threat to our country, the long term threat to our country is China. And I know you had Mike Gallagher on the show, and he's done a great job as chairman of the China, committee on the Communist Party of China. And China has the military muscle, the economic might, the population, yeah. uh, the the Communist Party control of the country, which is absolute. To to challenge America and and to see how our kids and grandkids and great grandkids will live if they live in a Country where everyone has a social credit score and is told by the government what they can do. If if a Mandarin becomes the world language, if you know the Chinese way of life dominates, and so that's the existential threat to us. And look, I think in the long run, freedom prevails, and we, we can win, but that's a, a heck of a challenge. Then we've got the the immediate threat of Russia to Europe, as Putin, who is no longer a communist but is a Russian imperialist, wants to reassemble the Russian Empire and and make Europe his vassal. He wants to control Europe and dictate what happens in Europe, and then. You know, maybe not fundamentally change our life the way that the Chinese would, but, you know, he, he use the brutality of the Russian state to secure whatever interests he thinks are in his, you know, that he wants. And then the day-to-day challenge that we faced every morning, I woke up as national security advisor I wanted to know what the Iranians were doing, because they've got a messianic ideology, it's it's driven by religion, and a, I think a perverted view of Islam, and they, they seek to drive America from the entire Middle East, and then you know, exercise hege- hegemony over the Middle East, and then from there to to exercise hegemony in in Europe and around the world. And so, they're they're willing to use terrorism and asymmetric tools to to defeat us and drive us drive us from the the space, to dominate our allies in the Gulf, the UAE and Bahrain and Kuwait and and Qatar and you know, the Gulf states, Saudi, and then destroy Israel. And so they were the day to day threat because they were up to something every day with their terrorist proxies. But we have three major threats, and what's happened today in the world is those three threats really melded into one stream. So you've got the Russians, the Chinese, and the, the Iranians all cooperating, and they're getting help from henchmen like Kim Jong-un in North Korea and, the, and Maduro in Venezuela. So it, it is, you know any president would have their hands full, but a weak president is really in, in, in endangering America, and that's what we have today.
0: Yeah, I mean, they all clearly have a common interest. They want to see the United States no longer the superpower in the world. When you look at Iran, uh, they want the United States out of the region, uh, and and they want Israel uh, to be swiped off the map. So, their goals are clear. And as you point out, in Vladimir Putin would would like to see some kind of reconstitution of the Russian Empire pride is a huge issue for him and he feels that they have lost a lot over the past several decades and wants that pride restored to what he sees as you know a, a new great russian empire and and china has made their aspirations very clear they want by 2030 to be the leading superpower of the world and and at some point i would imagine that these desires of on the part of all three of them kind of run into each other but right now it seems that they all sense kind of a window of opportunity that works for all of them. As you look, we're now a couple, about to be a couple months into 2024, which is an election year. How much do you expect them to want to move during the course of this year? Because they don't know what the outcome of the election may be, and whether or not it will favor any of these goals.
1: Well, I, I'm very concerned about 2024 because you know the the perception overseas, and and you and I both know U.S. politics. It's uh, getting, no one knows what will happen right now. President Trump is leading on all the polls and, and should be reelected given the state of the economy and the state of the world. But you never know what will happen. But our, our foreign adversaries and even our foreign partners believe that he's coming back because they're looking at America and can't believe that the American people would re- reelect this the government. But the the failures at the border, the failure in Afghanistan, the failure in, in Israel and Ukraine, and and then just the fact that the American people are paying so much more money in gas and groceries, you know, no one can really believe, at least overseas, looking at it objectively, that the President Biden would get another term, but again, it's politics, and, and we'll have to see what the American people decide. That's the great thing about a democracy. But the concern I have is that as they, they, they believe that President Trump is coming back and America will come back with a peace or strength posture in the world, that this may be their best opportunity to get whatever you know goodies, so to speak, they think they're entitled to and, uh, and uh, solidify whatever gains they've made over the past several years. So I think the next you know 10 months before the election and even the three months after the election during the transition on the overseas is a period of maximum danger for for the United States as our foreign adversaries try and get solidify gains and, and maybe achieve more objectives before uh, a Republican administration comes into play and then America goes back to a Ronald Reagan Donald Trump approach to the world.
0: The untold story continues right after this. So in terms of China, do you think they may use that window to make a move in Taiwan? That,
1: that, that's my big concern, because that's the, the thing that could trigger, that's the type of action that could trigger a, a, the global war, Martha. And, uh, and you know, your your, your analysis of, of the three great powers that, that we're facing, the adversaries that we're facing is is right. Their, their interests don't necessarily align. The Communist Party of China wants to be the Middle Kingdom, and they want to, run the world from beijing the russians you know want to maintain their empire or re- restore their empire and maintain it and the the islamists in tehran have a, a different messianic view of the world but but right now they've made common cause because what's standing between all three of them and the, them achieving their objectives is the united states of america and our allies and so if they can knock us off the playing board then they can pursue their objectives and either f- find an accommodation but among themselves or battle it out later but in the, in the short term, you know, China's greatest objective is taking Taiwan, and and if, if they feel that this is their best opportunity, especially with with the new election in China, in Taiwan and the, the, us not having delivered the weapon systems that Taiwan needs to defend itself, it, it's, a, it's a real dangerous period for them. I hope the Chinese don't go, because President Biden has said that he'll defend Taiwan on um, at least four different occasions. Now that's been walked back by his staff, but. I think he, he's trying to send a message to the Chinese, and and that, that that's just that's the sort of conflict that could you know, engage us in a war with a major nuclear power, which would be, of course, an incredibly dangerous situation that we want to avoid at you know every reasonable cost.
0: The last thing I really want to talk to you about is, is something that I know you have looked at a lot, and that's the the future of warfare. Because one of the things that strikes me when I look at this attack that happened that took the lives of these three soldiers is that it's an unmanned. Drone. So now enemies have the ability to hit each other without risking any life on their own side. How has this changed warfare? And I know you think that all of that's going to accelerate very quickly. Is the United States in a weaker position than China or Iran or Russia on these fronts? What's your take on that?
1: Technology that's been developed, some I can talk about, and some I can't. But uh... You know, we're, we're right there with the uh, on the UAV front, whether it's un- underwater UAVs like the Orca uh, from Boeing, the under- unmanned submarine that's a very large unmanned submarine and highly capable, or defense systems from companies like Fordham and Andrel. So, so there's a lot of work going on. What, what concerns me most, Martha, is are we going to be able to do it quickly enough because our procurement situation at the Pentagon is a mess, and it takes us everything is always you know well past the deadline for receiving the uh, the what we need for our warfighters, and it's also always over budget. And we've seen that with the littoral combat ships the fiasco. The F-35 program is back on track, but that was a you know, real problem. So we we our, our defense contractors need to figure out how to turn things around faster. And our procurement people in the Pentagon need to figure out how to have less regulation and move quicker. I mean, we, we've got the most innovative society in the world with Silicon Valley and our tech sector, and we ought to be able to translate that into platforms to defend our warfighters and help them win wars can be done. And we saw it with a, a program that uh, Boeing, for example, did with Australia called Loyal, the Royal Wingman, which is a, an unmanned fighter jet that travels as a wingman to a, a manned fighter jet, an F-35 or an F-18. And they got it out very quickly and on on a pretty low budget, but it was being done for Australia. And if, if the U.S. tried to do that, I'm sure it would be 10 times the price and take 10 times as long. And so... <laughs> We need to figure out how to get our procurement system uh, unbroken. But as far as my confidence in, in American tech and ingenuity, it's it's very high. The one thing I will mention, and we talked about this on your show, I think, a couple of weeks ago, these these strikes against the Hooties, for example, that are using very low-tech cruise missiles and, and drones supplied by Iran that cost thousands of dollars to make, we're hitting them with missiles that cost up to a million dollars. For a cruise missile, that costs $10,000. That that's that is unsustainable, and you know it's not a good return on our investment. So we need to figure out how to employ our high-end weapons where, where they need to be deployed to counter China and counter Russia. We need to figure out how to how to counter these uh, asymmetric threats from Khatib Hezbollah and the Houthis in Iran in a different manner that's more cost-effective, that's lethal.
0: Last question: How confident or? not confident are you in the current team that has the job that you had and that is leading the advisory around the president right now on all of these huge issues?
1: You know, it's hard to say, like the results for whatever they're doing have not been, have not been good. Now, Jake Sullivan, I know he's this smart guy. And, you know, I think he's a good man. And Tony Blinken's a smart guy and decent, you know, good chap. I, I don't know if the president's not listening to him or if they just have such a fundamentally different view of the world, uh, that, we're, we're in all the messes we're in. What I am advocating, and this isn't political, this is good for America. is for America to deter our adversaries, to invest in the defense systems that we need, to to be aggressive in, in setting red lines that, where, especially where American troops' lives are at stake, and to start pushing back on these malign regimes. And that that would be good politically for the Biden folks. And to go look, all you have to do is look at Ronald Reagan or look at Donald Trump, and peace through strength works. And if they would turn to that, it would be better for them, better for the country, but uh, I'm, I'm just afraid that they're they're so manipulated by the progressive left and the Democrat Party. I mean, I, I went to a, an event uh, I was speaking at to honor Jim Baker, the former Secretary of State. Uh, Hillary Clinton was speaking at it as well. And as we walked in, there were students protesting outside yelling, burn Israel, kill the Jews. And this is, a, this is on a university campus in Houston, Texas. And, you know, I, I know that's the base that Joe Biden's playing to, but he shouldn't be. You know, I, I don't think Joe Biden feels that way. I don't think Blinken or, or Sullivan feel that way. But I think they're taking, you know, I think we're, we're showing weakness and, and showing restraint in a, in a way to try and appease those folks. But we, we should be projecting American strength to protect our soldiers and our country and our, and our partners.
0: So I lied. I said that was my last question, but I just have one more. <laughs> and it's this. Um, President Trump, always says that you know, you know people say well who who's going to join another trump administration and he says don't worry about it i have so many people who would want to be part of a next trump administration are, are you among them and would you return if asked
1: well look that, that decision is up to the president to, to make but i think there are a lot of great people i think you've got folks like tom cotton and mike waltz and uh, others who'd make a great secretary of defense we've got john Radcliffe, our former dni who'd be serving a role would be like R- rick Grinnell uh, I think that Larry Kudlow, Bob Lighthizer, there's a lot of great people that can serve in both economic and uh, foreign policy and national security roles. And look, I grew up in the family, Martha, my dad was a Marine Corps officer as a young man. And, you know, we're taught to salute and say, yes, sir, if the president asks us to do something. And I certainly would, you know, su- subject to kind of convincing Mrs. O'Brien. But uh, uh, <laughs> that, 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 that question is really a question for, for President Trump and, and not for me.
0: Robert O'Brien, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much. Be well and look forward to talking to you soon.
1: Great to be with you. I hope to see you in person soon. Take care.
0: Robert O'Brien, former National Security Advisor to President Trump. That is the untold story for today. I'm Martha McCallum. I'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with the Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.